Hi, I'm Jason Wachab, founder and CEO of My Buddy Green, the best-selling author of Wealth, and your host for the My Buddy Green podcast, where I'll be bringing you deep and insightful dialogues with some of the greatest minds in wellness. If you like what you hear, please give us a five-star review, comment, and share with your friends and family. And don't forget to visit us at mybuddygreen.com for your daily dose of wellness. Thanks and enjoy the podcast. Before we dive into today's episode, I want to take a minute to talk supplements. As you guys probably know, these days there are so many supplements on the market offering different benefits, but fish oil is one of the ones you'll hear about the most, and for good reason. Pretty much everyone, regardless of age or activity level, can benefit from taking a fish oil supplement daily. That's because 75% of Americans don't get enough omega-3s, the main component of fish oil, in their diets. Omax 3 is one of the cleanest fish oil brands on the market, and now they're offering MBG listeners a free box at tryomax.com slash mindbodygreen. Omega-3s can do everything from improve mental performance and boost mood to protect against coronary heart disease and promote better athletic performance. But you want to make sure you're getting it in its purest form. You need to be really selective when it comes to choosing a fish oil supplement because rancid oils full of fillers can actually do more harm than good. Omax 3 is obsessive about sourcing and production and their product is 93.9% pure omega-3s. To put that number into perspective, they encourage consumers to try what they call the freezer test challenge. Basically, if you freeze any other omega-3 supplement, it will get cloudy because of all the filler. But an Omax 3 soft gel remains clear. It's that pure. We've partnered with Omax to give you guys an insane deal. You'll get a box for free when you head over to tryomax.com slash mindbuddygreen. That's tryomax.com slash mindbuddygreen. Omax 3 comes with a 60-day money-back guarantee, so you have plenty of time to try it and really feel the Omax difference for yourself. My wife Colleen and I prioritize eating healthy, but between running our own business and spending time with our daughter Ellie, we don't always have time to go grocery shopping and cook all the delicious plant-based meals we want to eat, which is why I'm so glad that Hungry Root is sponsoring today's podcast episode. Founded in 2015, Hungry Root delivers healthy convenience to your door, making it easy to eat healthy when you're super busy. Meals only take 10 minutes to prepare, and each one includes fresh-cut vegetables, mouth-watering sauces, and there's so much variety. They have 75 different dishes, so we definitely never get bored. Even better, all of their meals are low in sodium and preservatives and sugar-free. The only issue? We're guilty of hitting their almond chickpea cookie dough just a little too hard. Hey, what do you expect? It's delicious. Sound good to you? Use code MBG to get $25 off your first two deliveries for a total savings of $50. Hey, everybody. I just want to take a quick moment to thank you all for listening to the podcast and to say that we want to listen to you. So if you have any questions, any dream guests, we are all ears. I would love to hear from you. So ask me anything and stay tuned for the answers or your dream guests on this very podcast. Send your questions to podcast at mindbodygreen.com. That's podcast at mindbodygreen.com. And I look forward to hearing from all of you. Thanks so much. And let's go back to the podcast. Donna James received her Master's of Science in Medical Nutrition from Columbia University. She is a board-certified nutritionist, functional medicine practitioner, and cognitive behavioral therapist. 
She specializes in weight loss, women's hormonal health, mood disorders, and destigmatizing shame from childhood experiences. She is a trusted expert here at Mind Body Green as she's a member of the MBG Collective and a longtime friend. And most recently, she's written an amazing new book, The Archetype Diet. Welcome, Donna. Hi, Jason. So happy to be here. So what is the archetype diet? I'm very intrigued. <laughs> well, so a little bit about me. I'm a nutritionist and functional medicine practitioner, and I'm also a cognitive behavioral therapist. So I've got those three modalities coming into the archetype diet. So I've been in practice for over 12 years. I work principally with women. I've actually worked one-to-one with over 3,000 women. So it's a collaboration of my observations as well as the success that I've seen with my clients and their struggles. So what I noticed, and I'm really lucky being based here in New York, is that I have a really educated demographic of women. They know what it is that they need to eat. And so I noticed that even when they knew exactly what it was that they needed to eat, they weren't necessarily seeing the results that they were looking for, whether something else in the body was off, like the gut microbiome, or there was inflammation, or there was just unresolved traumas. Mm. And so the archetype diet, which is a diet piece of it, is about, well, how do you achieve sustainable weight loss in the long term and change those behaviors? How do you change the thoughts that precede the behaviors? So the archetype diet is based on four archetypes of women. So you get, in this process, you're like, I just keep on seeing this over and over and it sees. Continually. And, 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 but it was actually like an, evolution. So I would see certain things and then I started to notice the patterns. And when I realized that a woman's behaviors in particular were where she sourced her self-worth from, that's when it was the light bulb moment. So what happens is that with most diet books, we're looking at changing the food right. and, and, and then maybe it's changing the behaviors. But there's a step before that, which is, well, why do you engage in those behaviors in the first place? And unless you look at the why, then you're going to constantly repeat, be repeating the same patterns. So when, when women come in, it's like, well, I need to change my behavior here. Like I keep picking at food or I keep eating from my children's plates and they know that they shouldn't be doing that because that's not going to achieve the goal of the sustainable weight loss, but they just can't seem to change it. And, and so I noticed that, that it really came down to where do you source your self-worth from? Hmm. Because your sense of self-worth is your greatest reward. And so that's always going to take you off the pathway of something else that becomes lesser if it's done in the unconscious. So the four archetypes of woman are the nurturer. And the nurturer sources her self-worth from being there for others. Like really just making sure. sure that everybody there is happy. It's like, she's like the mother hen that's sort of, uh, um, sort of people pleasing in some way, like holding the space for everybody. Then there's the wonder woman. And so the wonder woman, her sense of self-worth is based on success and achievement. And so that's my archetype. Mm-hmm. So, so a lot of the, um, archetypes in New York are nurturers and, uh, wonder woman. Then the third is the femme fatale. The mm-hmm. femme fatale um, bases her sense of self-worth on her appearance and looks. The ethereal, it bases her sense of self-worth on being different and being sort of fluid and floaty and a little bit intuitive. And 
all of these sense of self-worth have these wonderful positive patterns, but there's also the shadow side to it. So the positive aspect of being the nurturer is she is so loving and kind and giving and compassionate. Like I surround myself with nurturers. Right. They're the ones that you can all friends that you can always rely on. The downside is the people pleasing aspect. Uh, always jumping in, feeling like you need to be there for people, taking on more responsibility than what you need to. Put others in front of themselves. Always. And, right. and so then what happens then if that's what your belief is? You get exhausted, adrenals get tapped out, thyroid issues, estrogen issues because of the way that insulin works with the estrogen. Um, and so you create these hormonal imbalances, which actually creates these body types. So the nurturer, I know the nurturer when she walks into my office. I know the nurturer walking down the street because I can look at her body type. And so the body type of the nurturer is she's uh, insulin dominant, so she'll tend to carry body fat everywhere. And she can also be a little estrogen dominant. And so that's where there's storage of body fat on the upper thighs. So there needs to be a diet for that type of woman that regulates the insulin levels and regulates the estrogen levels. Got it. But that's not the only piece. Right? You have to go back to why she created that imprint that her sense of self-worth was based on her ability to be there for others. Because otherwise she will continually put people before her. And so that's what the archetype gets into. Why did that happen? So it gets into childhood right. traumas and the process for actually changing it. Oh, I'll come back to that. And so, what about that? We'll move on. If we go, go one by one. So that's yep. the nurturer. We'll move on to the Wonder Woman. So the Wonder Woman, um, sense of self-worth is coming from uh, success and achievement. And so her dominant hormone is cortisol. So that's a stress hormone. And and most of us know that where that we store body fat on the abdominal area where cort- when cortisol is elevated. Mm-hmm. And then when cortisol is low, because you've been in these long, been in these stressful situations for a long period of time, it makes it makes the belly fat very resistant to being able to lose. So for the, that type of Wonder Woman, she's really got to manage her her uh, stress levels. And from a food perspective, having foods that she's sensitive to exacerbate the effect of cortisol. So. Taking out gluten and dairy is particularly important for the Wonder Woman. You're not a fan of those two things, regardless. <laughs> well, not, not, not in this country. So, sure. so, um, just because of the way that they've been modified. We'll, we'll come back to that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And so the Wonder Woman has created this childhood belief that, that she is worthy of attention if she is successful. And that type of woman tends to reward eat. It's the eats really well during the day and then at the end of the night needs to have that little piece of dark chocolate and really is resistant to giving it up or is the one that's going to treat herself to a 10-course degustation menu. She's the reward eater. And it's going back to her and, and understanding why she needs to feel rewarded for for the day or it's picking at food while she's answering the last hour of emails before she goes to bed. Is reward better than punishment, though? Like there's some I, people like, you know, you just use the language. Some people will say, like, it's reward versus I'm cheating. Uh, not too many people actually engage in punishment, but that would be the femme fatale trait. Got it. Okay. So the reward eating, it's also a switch. Yeah. It's the ability to turn off 
But if that type of eating is not what you want to engage in because it's stopping you from getting to your ultimate goal of being at a particular, your desired weight. Sure. You want to change it. So I'm not the person that says, yes, please go and eat a little piece of dark chocolate every night. I want to get into, well, why do you feel the need to? Like what's going on in your life that makes you feel like you need to be rewarded for that? Because there's some underlying issues there with the life, just often through perception that just need to be altered. Sure. So then you have the femme fatale. So if your worth is based on your body, oh, that's really challenging. So you're constantly often on a diet. You're, uh, the, the way that you measure yourself when you walk into a room is how pretty you are compared to everybody else in the room. If you're prettier than somebody else in the room, then that's going to be a great night. If you're not prettier than other people in the room, it's going to be a terrible night. So this is the woman that, um, is more likely to be subject to eating disorders it is the obsession with food. 80% of the time you're thinking about food, like whether you should be eating the food or not eating the food, and then you punish yourself for it, and then you feel ashamed, and as soon as you feel ashamed, then you get stuck in this horrible cycle, and it can go on and on and on. It can go on for an hour, or it can go on for weeks. Right. And then, so with that, we've got a break. Well, how did you develop the belief that your worth is based on what you look like? And and you, Instagram models are a classic example of that. Like that's the thing to tell. Instagram in general is not helping. (laughs) Um, Well, it's not. um, It's a problem. That's right. But the imprint of I'm worthy because of what I look like developed early. Right. So not every woman has that. So my archetype is a wonder woman. I want to look good, but my value isn't based on that. So with the femme fatale, the body type can be any, depending on whether she's eating a little bit more like a nurturer, where she'll just be quite the voluptuous femme fatale, or she's really restricting her food, and she looks a little bit more like the ethereal. Mm-hmm. Um, either way, you have to get into the core of how did you develop that that belief. And it's n- most often, and actually I've never seen that belief happen on adoration of her looks as a child. It's normally the opposite, the lack of it. Wow. So you went really deep on this. Yes. Like, <laughs> like, like I really wanted to change the conversation around weight loss so because there's so much shame attached to it. Like weight loss, oh no, let's just accept our body for the way it is. It's like, hell no. Right? If you don't like the way your body is, there are things you can do to change it. Right. Right? That truly is. There's a formula for a way of eating for your hormones that will get you those results. Right. But then you need to change the mindset. And that's what I wanted to introduce with this book. You've got to go back to childhood. So let's go to eth- so the ethereal. Yeah. So and then I want to ask, was there like a fifth sorry. that was like, <laughs> yes, there was actually. A, a fifth. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the ethereal is, you know, she feels really light and airy sure. and, um, sort of you know, as a child was really perceived to be the weird girl. And so she is very, very intuitive, but also the the one that retreated into her own space. Very sensitive. So she would describe herself as being um, um, empathic and highly sensitive to the world. So is this West LA inspired for you? Um, well, you, yeah. So you can see the difference. So, so, so in in New York, um, you got a lot of Wonder Woman and you got a lot of Nurture. Yep. And actually, in LA, it is skewed a little bit more towards the ethereal. Yep. And that the woman tells you, obviously, other Wonder Woman Nurture's there too. Um, um, but yes, it's quite funny how the different uh, locations will actually pull that type of archetype in, um, because the 
I live between two cities and, and between those two cities. And so I, it's really obvious to me, like the social currency right like, in New York, you are valued for your intellect. Sure. <laughs> in LA, less so. It's yep. much more about that creative side and a little bit depending on where you associate on the looks. Mm-hmm. Um, so the ethereal has the, it's like the skinny little vegan girl, like the one that's like 95 to 100 pounds and a lot of the other archetypes would like to be like. Um, but, and for her, she's doesn't have, she may not have weight issues, but she have, uh, she has other issues. So she tends to be low in estrogen. So there's depression and there's infertility. There's definitely uh, gut microbiome issues. Um, and, and for her, when she gains weight, because the Archetype Diet is a weight loss book, it's because she's so sensitive that she's using these carbohydrates to numb her sensitivity. Right. And she can't really, she can't really identify like what's her emotion or what's somebody else's emotion. And, and so, so again, like all the archetypes, it's like going back to the childhood patterns as to how did you create that, that imprint that your worthiness was based on your ability to be intuitive and to be em- empathic and to be so, different. So you really think everything goes back to childhood? Yes. And what if someone's listening and saying like, I'm maybe a blend of these, like, I feel fine. I'm, I'm good. I'm okay. I, you know, have, so you, have chocolate yeah. when I want chocolate. <laughs> I, you know, feel pretty good. I'm not, you know, maybe the, I'm the size I want to be for the most part. I feel good. Like, I think that's great. I think yeah. if that's where you are in life, that's fantastic to, to, and to look beyond though, because very few of us have that, unless we've done work, have that really wonderful, incredible life where everything just flows. No, it does, right? And so, so it's a journey. It, it, yeah. And so it may not show up for you in the physical body. And so therefore there's no symptoms, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's not showing up for you and your relationships. Right. And so therefore you'd go back to that. So this is all about self-awareness. Like how you interact with people, because I can use the archetypes to talk about dating. So one of my, um, uh, my next old next door neighbor in LA, when the woman would come to the door, I just thought they were femme fatales. So there they were on the West side where everything's like flip flops and no makeup. And there's like really high heels and, and a lot of makeup and often fake boobs. And we go for a walk one time and he's like, Oh my goodness, I'm so sick of these girls that I date and they're just jealous. <laughs> and I, I like laugh at him when I said, what do you expect? I said, you're dating the femme fatale archetype. And in the negative, she's extremely jealous. Of course, she's going to keep asking you about your ex-wife. <laughs> like if you don't want that in your relationship, look for another archetype. So, so I have t- two questions. So one is what, what was the fifth archetype that was like, it's on the cusp of, of maybe it didn't make the cut of this book. So the fifth archetype was the muse and the muse was when you were completely balanced and you had all four of those archetypes weaved within you. And that's actually what the book is about is as you break the association that your self-worth is based on something external, all of a sudden you don't have these vulnerabilities that you once had and you now have space to be able to layer in the positive attributes of all the other archetypes so that you can become like at the, at the crown. Right. So, so in the archetype, you're either at the top of the crown or you're really balanced or you're not. 
you're at you're dysfunctional and so when you're more dysfunctional the physical body is really out of balance and when you're at the crown it's really balanced so i can look at a room of women and know which ones are out of balance by looking at their body type now if the body's really balanced then then i i won't know which archetype they are because they've sure got that positive. I'm sure you're popular it. at dinner parties. I don't turn it on at dinner parties. It's like <laughs> unless somebody unless somebody asks me like to to what they are but and this, then I listen to them. But this doesn't apply to men though. It wasn't created for men. Got but it. it could be applied to men. So so there are men that fall into those four archetypes. Uh, in a very generalized sense your men are in the masculine and that masculine is the wonder woman. Right. And so I don't know if I'd split that into another category as well. I haven't observed as many men through this lens, but it's something, something to consider. Maybe your next book. That's, so. that's what people say. <laughs> <laughs> so in, in your estimation of the people you've seen, like how does it slice percentage wise? Is it even across the board of the four archetypes, like 25% eat or do you see? So, uh, um, I actually can't give you an estimate of that because of where I practice. So I practice in New York and sure, LA. So you're not seeing. And so I can't say how that skews, but we could look at it from Wonder Woman developed because of the post-feminist movement. So we, so I was born in the mid seventies, the same time as you. And it was really about be smart. Like you can be like a man and you can, you can do anything like a man. And so you go down that track. That's, that's what, that's what you really believe. Like be educated, be intelligent. Don't worry about your look so much. Like move on from that. Um, but then there's also the, the piece here is that women are looked at for the way that they look as are men. Sure. Um, and so, so all of that still exists. Um, I wouldn't say it's 25, 25, 25. Um, I feel like the ethereals are less. Hmm. Uh, my hope is, is that, and we can see this, is that we are starting to value intuition more. Sure. And, and, We'll start to see more of those ethereal women come out because ethereal women have this wonderful belief that there's just this underlying harmony in the universe and everything should be good and beautiful and wonderful. Uh, and so for them, seeing pain and discomfort is really challenging for them and, and heartbreaking for them. Um, the other archetypes don't necessarily look at the world through that lens. Right. So the, the Wonder Woman archetype is sort of the most selfish right. of all the, the archetypes because it's all about me and success. And the Femme Fatale too can be a little bit like that, but it's really driven through just like deep insecurity. So I'm assuming between these archetypes, there are some commonalities of things that probably are good for you and not good for you. And I'll, I'll start with the things that probably aren't good for you. Aren't good Sugar. For you. <laughs> sugar well, gluten and i actually in this book i not only do i give you the archetype the diet plan or like the meal plan for each sure. of the archetypes but i talk through a lot of the myths out there about about the food and so with my body green we created this ditching sugar program back yep. in 2014 yep. and and it's still a fantastic program yeah <laughs> um and so with sugar yes we don't want to be eating a lot of sugar, but should you be completely abstaining from sugar, do not fall into that camp at all. 
Um, a little bit of sugar. Who, why, why do you want to take out some of the joys from life, which might be the occasional macaroon or the occasional piece of um, um, cake or gluten-free cake on your birthday? Or like, real cake. Or, 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 right, or real <laughs> cake, right? It's, actually, it's finding peace with it. Right. It's finding the balance. It's it's the issue is when you feel viscerally driven towards the sugar, right? That it becomes that it becomes a problem, and and one of the areas that bothers me so much in this wellness world with sugar is sugar's addictive. Sugar's addictive. It's like okay, let's step back a little bit from that, because the research out there showing that sugar is addictive is actually flawed. So sugar stimulates dopamine. That mm-hmm. doesn't mean it's addictive. It just means it has, it's pleasurable. Right. So when the research looked at the withdrawal effects, there aren't the withdrawal effects that you get with drugs. And so one of the studies shows that sugar is um, more addictive than cocaine. Well, actually, they didn't use sugar. They used sucralose. So they used Spanda. So they used a sugar substitute, which is a thousand times sweeter than sugar. Right. And that's what it was. It was just reported incorrectly. I did not know that. So Spunda is more addictive. <laughs> yes. And so, and, and so then it's like, well, why do we, why do we feel like we're a little, we want sugar? <clears throat> so another wonderful piece of research. But it's still not good. Sugar is still not good. No, no, no. Still, it's, we don't, yeah. Should, it, should, it should be very limited. An indulgence. Precisely. And one st- another study that they did with the rats is they took the rats from their um, one-floor cage and they gave them a three-story cage and they give, gave them little rat toys and igloos. And um, when they did that, they were completely uninterested in the sugar. And that's what I see with my clients. That give the them reason, toys. Yeah, give them toys. Make, you know, <laughs> have them have some joy Optical in life. Course. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, well, it was, um, what's her name? Marion Woodman has a great quote, which is like, when you, when you want sugar, you're missing some sweetness in your life. Right. So look at it from that psychological perspective. Is that where can you add some more joy and fulfillment into your life? And, you know, we, we hear, I hear it from my clients all the time. Once I have a bite of candy, like, I'm done. Right? I need to finish the entire bag. So therefore, sugar is bad. And when we say sugar is bad, we take the responsibility away from ourselves to change that. Mm. When we say sugar is addictive, it's like, oh my goodness, can't do anything about it. Like once I've had a bite of that candy, I'm gone. And it's like, well, let's have a look at it from a different perspective. If something else that stimulates dopamine, sex. Let's say you're in the middle of this most amazing, beautiful, wonderful sexual act and your partner stops halfway through. Are you going to be pissed off? Are you going to want more of it? Yes. Hell yes. Because it's stimulating dopamine. It's the same thing. So it doesn't mean that sex is bad because you want more of it because it got stopped halfway through. And it's the same with the sugar. So should we all be seeing therapists instead of nutritionists? (laughs) Both. (laughs) Right. So I'm trained. My original training was as a nutritional therapist for that reason. Is that once you get the piece down about what to eat, which is actually pretty simple, it's like, well, why can't you do it? Right. And it's not that it's your fault you can't do it. It's like going back to understand, well, something else is getting your priority. What I really wanted to call the book was, it's not willpower, it's your worth. But they decided they want to do that. (laughs) Um, Because like it really is where you source your self-worth from is giving you a greater reward than actually what you perceive to be willpower. So we're going to move on from sugar to gluten. (laughs) Gluten. Uh, So 
I mean, I've been telling people to come off gluten for the last 12 years. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> um, and if you have some type of physical issue, particularly if it's an autoimmune disease and you haven't gone off gluten, it would warrant you taking gluten out of the diet as a starting point for a month. And if you have a sensitivity, what happens is that when you reintroduce that, whether it's wheat or gluten or something else in, in the gluten-containing foods, you become hyper-hypersensitive to it because the antibodies increase. Sure. And so when you have that bread roll or that pasta, the body will react to it in a negative way. I've seen hives which was shocking to me because that typically isn't what a sensitivity is. It's more what an allergy is. Headaches, fatigue, weight gain. When I was sensitive to gluten, as soon as I would eat it, I would gain five pounds of water weight and it would take about four pounds to four days to come off. That's what I can tell with my clients. So if they've had a big weekend and they're like, oh my goodness, I gained four pounds. It's like it, you didn't gain four pounds of body fat. What you did is you gained four pounds of water and part of that is probably inflammatory water. So if they've eaten gluten, I know that they're sensitive to gluten. But it can also be that they converted the more carbohydrate-based foods to glycogen. Glycogen stored in a water base. And sure. not worry about it. Um, so I find that the inflammatory water from the gluten changes in the scale is the most obvious symptom. Mind you, I'm looking through the lens of weightless. People are coming to me for sure, weightless, so sure. that's so I just will give that, that sure. caveat. So, what about you know? Some people say sourdough not as bad. Yes, and so gluten. The reason that we react to gluten is it's a very large molecule. It's a very large protein molecule. So we only become sensitive to something that's protein based. And because gluten was modified in the late 60s and late, um, and late 70s, and sorry, in early 70s to become a larger molecule, that's why it's even more reactive to the body. Now, when you use sourdough, you break down that gluten molecule t- to a smaller protein molecule, so it's much less reactive. And there was a study that came out maybe three or four years ago where s- half of the celiacs in the study could actually tolerate the sourdough. Half couldn't. Right. So, so for me, I eat, um, I, I now eat gluten because I don't have a reaction to it because I was able to reverse it. So you're better off having the sourdough than like gluten-free bread? Yeah. Uh, well, depends. So if you have the sensitivity to, to you don't, gluten. Assuming you don't. Yes. Right. So I eat organic sourdough because the other right. piece with right. the gluten, which is not just gluten, is the glyphosate, which is on, which is sprayed on the, the right. wheat crops. So there is a question mark over, is it gluten or is it the glyphosate that's triggering this, the leaky gut and potentially these autoimmune diseases? I don't think we really know the right. answer there, but nonetheless, the solution is to take the gluten out of the diet. So something else that's very topical these days, lectins. Yes. Um, and so I haven't read Stephen Grundy's book because I was just a, um, yeah. a... He's not a fan of lectins, but, but, yes. you know, are you, you know, you got, so, and all lectins are not created equally. You've got <laughs> corn, you've got beans, and what's your take generally? So, on the Most beans, everyone I know is like, corn, not so good. Beans, a lot of people are torn. Yeah, so with corn, it's, it, the reason why we don't love corn is again, it's one of the most heavily sprayed yeah, crop, right. crops with the glyphosate. Um, it's also used in a lot of gluten-free products. Yep. So so you can take out the the wheat but then you can develop a sensitivity to to the corn and so then you're at a neutral point. Right. Um fresh corn that grown out in Long Island in the middle of summer uh, where there's very little where it's organic like how is that impacting the body it's different it's different to say um corn tortilla. Right. Um so I I actually allow my clients to have that type of corn. 
Um, and then with the other type of lectins, I'll say the legumes. When you're not dealing with chronic disease, there shouldn't be a reason for you to take the legumes out of the diet. So the lectins are deactivated when they're soaked and cooked. Yep. So, so most people aren't eating a, a, say, a a hummus where the chickpeas are not cooked. And if it's raw, they're sprouted. I've never seen that. So it's, it's either sprouted hummus or it's cooked. Um, lentils, no one's eating them raw. And maybe right. there are some, some, some vegans are eating them sprouted. So that's, that sort of deactivates the lectins. And, um, there, again, there's a view that maybe it binds up part of the, the minerals, but it's like, it's a plant. And so that can be the way of regulating the nutrient intake. If there's something negative in there, it's probably there for a purpose. Right. What so are, what about nuts? Oh, so I'll just finish up on, like, on the legume. So, okay, so, so. For somebody with like SIBO, small intestinal bacterial yeah. overgrowth, um, or if you get bloated after you eat the legumes, it doesn't mean that the legumes are not good for you. It's that your gut microbiome is not replete with good bacteria because the good bacteria breaks down the fiber in the legumes. It's so we as humans do not actually have the enzymes to break down the fiber in legumes. So that's my first marker of okay. We pull the legumes out. Why we while we restore the gut microflora. So so for me the the legumes are not. It's to me the lectins are a non-issue. There's other things that are going on, and it very much depends on what's happening with that person individually. But right. I like people to be able to have them. So they're such a wonderful source of carbohydrates because they have the added addition of the protein. Right. Um and. I was talking, you know, Mark Harmon, you interviewed him on like the pagan diet. And I said, yeah. you can do like the, the paleo diet and then the vegan diet that way, but you can't do a vegan paleo. <laughs> like, you can't be vegan and then f- take out your grains and your legumes because that's your principal source of your amino acids. I've seen it. All that happens is that person ends up incredibly depressed because they don't have enough of their amino acids to create their own neurotransmitters. Hmm. So what's the solve for that person? Uh, the, uh, so that when they talk to me, it's so interesting. Most of them are more fearful of putting the putting the legumes and the grains in the diet than they are putting the meat, and so they become pescatarian. Fascinating. And then they're fine mm-hmm. eating fish. Um, yeah, interesting. It's 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 that's again a little bit right. of the femme fatale mindset too. It's like oh my goodness, the greens and the legumes are bad. It's like no, they're not. It's just we got to get the portion sizes right, and you got to know how to actually eat them. So, what about nuts? Nuts. Um, so, f- for uh, my archetypes, well, actually, let me step back. Because of the sort of whole thirty keto diet and paleo diet, I think we grossly overconsume nuts. And nuts are actually work really well for men, but less so for women. And good news um, for me. Um, um, yeah. Yes. And like butters. Like any type of almond butter or nut butter, if you're trying to lose weight and you're a woman, that's the disastrous thing for you to do, particularly if you're taking carbohydrates out of the diet. Because most women I know, once that teaspoon or tablespoon goes into the jar, half the jar's gone. The only exception is tahini. There's something about that sesame, <laughs> that sesame seed butter that people are like, it's pretty bitter. I'm having one. So, so in the archetype diet, I split it by the archetypes. So for the nurturer who is, 
you know, she's got more of that stocky build. And so having nuts, which are energetically and chemically more dense, can weigh her down. And so I move her on to the seeds. She has more of the pumpkin seeds and sunflower seeds. That's a better fit for her than than the, than the nuts. For the Wonder Woman and the Femme Fatale, having a small serving of nuts once a day is perfectly fine, and that small serving is probably about 12. Um, but I want them to more, get more variety in rather than just the nuts that they're getting seeds and the, the oils and the avocado in. And for the ethereal, though, the nuts are fantastic because they're really – because they are so grounding – so, and it's because the ethereal is so light and airy, she needs the nuts to ground her. So she actually works quite well on a vegan diet because she has this greater tolerance for carbohydrates and greater tolerance for the fats. So when everybody's looking at that, like, sort of skinny girl that they want to be like, and they're eating these sort of macro bowls with a whole lot of fats in it, that works for her body type, but right. not for the other three. How would you rank your nuts? Um, I put them all in the same category. And, so they're uh, all peanuts too, peanuts. Except for peanuts, because peanuts put as a, like a legume. Um, so all in the same category. I, what drives me crazy is that everybody's like almonds, 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 almonds. Um, I see on food sensitivity tests that people develop sensitivities to almonds. I think I even wrote an article on this for well, my plus, body green, like, like in 2012. To me, there's a whole environmental <laughs> thing with almonds too. <laughs> like it takes 20 gallons of water to produce a, like it's insane. I, I use hemp seed milk yeah, for that purpose. Right. So, so one of my favorite nuts is, however, is Brazil nuts because yep. the Brazil nuts are the richest source of selenium. And so for my like, Wonder Woman and my nurturers who are subject to really susceptible to thyroid disorders, I've got them snacking on those a few times a week. Um, with some goji berries, it's a perfect snack. But in terms of like, like, Cashews and hazelnuts and walnuts. Just, just get the variety, and it's the most important pistachios. thing. Pistachios and pistachios. My favorite. Yeah, they're they're, they're fantastic. <laughs> so you mentioned fat, so which leads me to fat, keto, uh-huh. intermittent fasting, <laughs> that whole thing that's happening right yep. now. What are your thoughts on? I'll put all three of those things in a bucket. They're sort of together, although they're they're different. But. So, okay, so um, let's start with intermittent fasting. Yeah. Um. Fine. I'm gonna say good. Fine for people who are not uh, stressed, mm-hmm. and so their adrenals are functioning appropriately. I don't know many of those people. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta be real. I just don't. Um, it works better for men than it does for women. Yep. Um, uh, for women, I much prefer them to eat within a 12-hour period. And that's my very first rule. As you think about the time, rather than eating within that eight-hour period. You, the archetypes come into play here. The femme fatale do not put her on the intermittent fasting because she will develop an eating disorder around it. She will start to feel incredibly guilty if she eats without, eats outside of that eight hour period and she gets into a binge like mentality. I'd just be really, I don't really love intermittent fasting because it's much harder to do than it is to eat within a 12 hour period. Know why you're doing it. Like if you're doing it for weight loss, there are easier ways to do that. Eat within a 12-hour period and eat the same amount of food. It's just, it's. I've done it because I try everything and I tried it probably six years ago. I was probably on it for a good six months. I will tell you it made no difference to my weight. What it did do is exacerbated my anxiety to the point that I almost had a panic attack. Wow. And, and because I wasn't, I wasn't eating until two o'clock and I was, I like coffee. So I was drinking coffee, maybe two cups of coffee and then eating. And I got worried about that. And I went to my acupuncturist and I'm like, oh my goodness, I, 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 this, I've never experienced this before. And he said to me, do you think it was blood sugar levels? 
And I'm like, but blood sugar levels is the most basic thing that you can manage as a nutritionist. Right. And I went, oh, oh my God. Holy hell. This is blood sugar, a blood sugar issue. Right. And my blood sugar level was so low because I've been doing intermittent fasting for so long. Right. And just on this caffeine that it tripped that anxiety. So it's like, know what you're doing it for. Right. Like for, and and I, I'm that Wonder Woman archetype. So my adrenals are a little, they're a little, I'm up. I'm excitatory. Um, so something like that is more stimulating for me. It's not going to be beneficial for me. What about fat and ketosis and the whole thing? Like I'm throwing the ghee yeah, in the coffee, yeah. the butter in the coffee. I'm doing keto. <laughs> it's like, it's a thing and it works for, you know, I'm just curious. What yeah. It's, it, it works because you stick to it. It's so restrictive that, that it's going to give you those results. Again, the same type of thing. I think it works really well for men. I think it works less well for women because we don't tolerate that much fat in our diet. It's much harder for us, which is a little bit smaller to be able to emulsify all the fats that are coming in. So what do you think? Do you think it's the, do you think it works is, is what you're saying it, it works because it's so strict and people adhere to it or does it work because of what it's doing you could do that or you could actually go on the atkins diet you put them side by side i can tell you that they're going to give you the same results hmm. so are you a believer in this idea that we should all be eating tons of fat i'm a believer that we should be eating fat but most women that come into to my practice are very educated and they're overeating fat so, so I keep fat to two servings at lunch and at dinner, plus any other fats that naturally would come in from wild salmon. So it's not eating like gobs of grass-fed butter and ghee and def- coconut def- oil def- and all that stuff. Definitely and- <laughs> not. Unless, right, unless there's a mitochondrial issue. And so you need that high level of fat to repair the cell membrane of the mitochondria. So if we think of like Dave Asprey, that's why he started it. Right. Because his mitochondria was so damaged. So again, it's like, well, know why you're doing it. Like, what's it for? Is it for a restoration pro- process? Like if you have an autoimmune disease and, and, um, you've been eating a whole lot of carbohydrates, then going on the ketogenic diet for a month or maybe two months, could be the greatest thing for you because it's also going to reset how you how you uh, think about food. But then it's starting to incorporate more of the vegetables back in. So, so the, the problem with the ketogenic diet is it limits the carbohydrates, including the vegetables. And so we need the fiber and the vegetables to be able to restore the gut microflora. So please tell me avocados are okay. Of course. Avocados are fantastic. <laughs> I get accused, accused of going, going too heavy on the avocados. <laughs> so would you say, so Walter Longo was on here and he was like, he questioned avocados. He's like, well, there's never, you know, there's never been, uh, you know, a culture and history that consumed as many avocados. So technically we don't know. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Don't, <laughs> don't say that to me. Stop. It's like, he told me there's Santa Claus. There's no Santa Claus. Um, so going back to keto, do you think it's a fad or do you think it's a trend? It's a trend. Okay. Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with trends. Well, what do you think is a, well, I'll segue it. What do you think is a trend and what do you think is a fad right now? Trend and fads, I went into the same, same category. Trends well, like fad is no better. staying power. So fad is something I would, I would classify as something that's really hot right now, but in two years from now may not be around where a trend is something that has momentum and has. Well, I'm going to say it's a trend because there are valid reasons for eating that way. Sure. I'm going to say it's an extreme situation. Fad for weight loss. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, like it's a trend. Like if you're, I know people who 
you know, have had cancer or dealing with cancer, going Correct, to surgery yeah. and they go, they're prescribed keto. You got to yep. go. It's, I, it's, that's why it will still be around because it can be used for therapeutic purposes. Yes. But if it's uh, for weight loss, to me, it's a fad. So where I would like to see wellness going is we become much more balanced with our way of eating. Because there are so many ways that you can lose weight, which is what, why these things take off. Like people still want to lose weight. Um, but it's just, it's a harder way of, 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 of doing it. I have people that come into me where they've been on the ketogenic diet and not seeing those results. Part of the reason is I can't live that way. It's very difficult right. to follow a ketogenic diet when you're eating out, when you live in New York City and, and four to five of your meals, you, you eat out. And, and so, so, what I want to see is just, it's just it's just much more balance around how we look at food. I, I you haven't asked me about fruit, which is another sort of controversial <laughs> area, and and this is one that really frustrates me because fruit's not like this colored sugar cube, and we perceive it to be that way. So two pieces of fruit a day is fantastic. But all fruits not created equal. It's not all created equal, but but this is where I'm going to get a, a get better uh, sort of jump up and down is with the glycemic index. So the glycemic index was developed in the 1980s, and the how they came up with it is they took 10 people and they measured the glycemic response to 50 grams of carbohydrate in that food, and then they averaged it. And so we don't know whether you and I are going to have different responses to a piece of fruit because sure. just our setup is different. So the glycemic index is just a guide. Besides that it doesn't really take into account the the um, quantity of it, it doesn't consider the phytonutrients. So the glycemic index was developed in 1981. The phytonutrients we just started to discover in the mid-1990s. So when we hear about um, like all the carotenoids and the anthocyanins and bromelain, all discovered in the mid-1990s. They wouldn't put this together. Right. So when we look at food purely from a sugar perspective, it's the equivalent of judging a person based on their weight well, without wh- considering anything else. Well, would you say that like blackberries are better than bananas for most people? Yes. So bananas would be, I would put into more of that like starchy category. So bananas are one of the few ones where I'd say fantastic after a, a 90 minute run. Right. But the rest of the time it's too starchy. So, so that like the bananas and the potatoes and the pumpkin, all of that would still yep. fit into that more of that starchy carbohydrate category. But a cup of pineapple versus a cup of blueberries. Do you know the difference in that is a quarter of a teaspoon of sugar. So what are your favorite? All of them. So, so, <laughs> I love it. so it's like blue, but don't just stay with the low glycemic fruits. Otherwise right. you're going to miss out on some of the phytonutrients and some of those more supposedly high glycemic fruits. So apples, fruits. okay. Apples are fantastic. I Unless love you have it. SIBO. <laughs> um, papaya, pineapple, like with the archetypes, I'm working with the chakras as well. So you can use the color to rebalance your emotional state. So for like the Wonder Woman archetype, her third chakra is I didn't know you got the chakras in there as I well. I did. You got everything in there. <laughs> I got a lot in there. So when I have a problem with the book of trying to work out what category to put it in. <laughs> is it self-help? Is it diet? Like what is All it? All the above. <laughs> put it in diet. Um, um, it's like go and like if you've got a business meeting, like go and have a, a pineapple smoothie for breakfast, like rebalance that, that third chakra. So even though I am not a female, mm-hmm. uh, I, I have had back issues, although I'm fine now, which, you know, root chakra related. What fruit should I have? Jay, I mean, Jason, you, have a metabolism that burns through things super fast. So for you, 
you have the option of having whatever fruit you want. Now, All if you right. still had if you still had back issues and you're dealing with some type of I don't know, scar tissue or something like that, maybe you might be loading up on a little bit of pineapple because the bromelain probably wouldn't be enough, but you'd probably take a supplement with something like that in it to to, to eat away at the scar tissue. Okay. So I have a green light on all fruit. Yes. Even a banana. I love bananas. I'm in. I'm very excited about that. Well, I'm glad. You and and Colleen Aline, it's like you guys get to eat actually more food. Well, I think it's been, you know, everyone, people rank fruit and traditionally say, you know, blackberries, raspberries, your berries first, but you know, berries at the top, at the bottom will be bananas. But, um, it, 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 I'm, I'm glad you like fruit. I think that's, uh, a good yeah. message to get out there. Yes. Um, and, and just on that note, because I'll continue on going on with it. Having a piece of fruit is not going to stimulate candida. All right. All these anti-candida programs out there, you can't put the fruit in. That little piece of fruit that you eat converts to a very, very small amount of sugar that the cells are going to use to convert to energy way before it even gets to the large intestine. It's impossible. So I have on my anti candida programs, everyone's still eating two pieces of fruit. So we're going to move up. We only have two <laughs> categories left to cover. I'm going to call these the fun categories for me. So coffee and then alcohol. <laughs> I think you know my thoughts on coffee. Um, um You're okay with coffee. Oh uh, yeah. I, I, I really like coffee. Most people enjoy it. The only time I would take it out of somebody's diet is if they're adrenally fatigued. Mm-hmm. Um, um, for that person, though, they feel like they can't even start the day with coffee, so maybe we'll just do a very small amount of coffee so they can make it through. But um, And are you okay um, with the – I'll do ghee and coffee in the morning. Sure. Yeah, if that's that's how you want to get a little bit of your – make it creamy, yep. that's fine. So that's that's – whether you want to use some organic milk or nut milk right. or ghee, that's, that's fine. Um and you can look at the genetics. So, um, if so, if you're a slow metabolizer of caffeine, you know it because you don't, you just don't feel very good when you drink coffee. I'm a fast metabolizer of caffeine, right. so I feel good drinking coffee. Well, I think it's one of those things too with coffee. There, you know, Colleen, my wife, like she'll have a cup, and then if she has anything in the afternoon, she can't sleep. I could have coffee at like ten o'clock at night, and I'm fine. Probably, I don't probably, do that. Probably a fast but, metabolizer yeah. of it. Same with me, but I don't drink it after eleven. The point I would make on coffee though is. Make sure it's organic. Yep. Uh, it is a very, it's a, a crop that is sprayed heavily with pesticides. Yep. And you notice the difference between a clean cup of coffee and then one that you're grabbing from the little street cart, which tastes really good. Sure. But you know, two hours later, you are tired. And that's just because of the, sure. the pesticides in the, in that coffee. What about alcohol? Well, yes. So, so. Well, yes. There's the answer, everyone. <laughs> alcohol, um, yes. Um, and it depends on the alcohol too. So, well, that, yeah, so. yeah. If you could rank your like alcohol, yes. Like if you had to rank, rank your it. alcohol, so, tequila. Yeah. Tequila would be number one. Yeah. Um, it is one of the the cleanest alcohols. It's also the only alcohol that's an upper, so you're less likely to feel a little depressed the next day. Um, wine and wine, yes. Um, if you had to rank your wines, o- organic. Yep. Absolutely. Red, um, white, and, sparkling. And the same spectrum, like whatever your preference is. Champagne and sparkling has more yeast. So if you're sensitive to yeast, you can react more to champagne. Mm-hmm. If you if you are dealing with a little bit of a yeast overgrowth like candida, then you are better off taking the, the wine and champagne out of the diet until you're, you've resolved that. Um, but, you know, wine tastes, wine tastes amazing. I do know that as... 
I've seemed to notice it with my clients is that once they get into their forties, so they can start to react to wine in a way that they didn't, and they'll start to get night sweats and things like that. It's nicknamed mm. the wine sweats. So if that's the case, which I which I'm suspicious is a little bit of a uh, of a yeast uh, reaction, then you should just be coming off the the wine and going towards a tequila or a mezcal, certainly gluten free vodka. Um, and if you like dark spirits, then obviously with no soda. What about beer? Um, if, if weight loss is part of the equation, <laughs> beer has to come out. Right. <laughs> um, um, and again, you have the, you have the yeast and the fermentation there. So if there's a reaction to that, then take that out. So what do you, what do you think is interesting about wellness right now? There's so much going on, personalization, the microbiome, telomere, we could go on and on, DNA, all this testing, everything, you know, what, what's exciting to you? What is a little unnerving? What's, I mean, wellness is a $3 trillion industry right, right now, which I think is really fantastic and wonderful. Um, and um, what I'm enjoying seeing is science back up what we as practitioners have seen for decades, um, in particular with, like, the gut microbiome. Um, not just the gut microbiome, the microbiome everywhere. Sure. The downside, it's a really sort of trendy place to be so there's a lot of noise mm-hmm. um there's a lot of misinformation out there and it's almost like if you have a blog you become an expert on wellness <laughs> and um something came up yesterday on instagram was like rapeseed oil is the same as canola oil and it was on a friend's Instagram. Wait, what was the claim? Rapeseed oil is the same as canola oil. Rapeseed is the same. No, rapeseed. 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 And it's actually not, but they're derived from the same plant. Um, the canola oil has just been modified and they've removed some of the phytonutrients from it and it's often, often, um, uh, genetically modified, not always, but rapeseed oil isn't. It's more pure. And so. I'd written a response back to that and then I thought, oh, I better look <laughs> to see if I'm actually accurate. And I think I was like on Wikipedia and it wasn't like right. It was like right. it was incorrect as well. I was like, oh my goodness, there is so much misinformation out there. It's something we need to scrub the web of, sure. of like what's going on with what's accurate and what's not accurate. So I, I, that's where I'm concerned is, um, because there's such an interest in it, the depth of knowledge that's out there with people is on the surface. And, and when you're dealing with chronic diseases, whether it's like, whether it's like an autoimmune disease or thyroid issues or cancer, um, it's, it can be really challenging to be able to discern what's, what's True and what's right. not, and and even studies are misinterpreted. Sure, like I told you about the sugar study. Sure, I see that. So it's hard. I see it's that hard. in a lot of marketing of supplements. <laughs> we, I'm going to share this on here. I cannot believe this, but I sell supplements. My credit card processing company last week said we're no longer going to be able to process anything because um, supplements are now considered high risk. I'm like, what? And then they said, well, the supplements are now making these claims that are like medical claims. And I said, not the supplements I'm selling. Right. <laughs> and then they said, nonetheless, our credit card processing company thinks wow. it's too risky. And I was like, oh my goodness, is this a state that we're coming into? Because they're just getting way too many returns. Sure. Well, and, and so that's, that's worrying. Yeah. So I was going to say, like, what keeps you up at night and what has you excited in the morning? 
Not much keeps me up at night, thank goodness. I know you sleep way too much. <laughs> that is the truth. <laughs> and um, what gets me excited is um, I love I love seeing transformation. I love seeing success with people, um, particularly in the mind. When I see somebody's mind shift to in terms of greater self-awareness and being able to change their behaviors and understand why they have been responding this way, whether it's in a relationship or with food, and it's this aha moment, it is brings tears to my eyes. Like, I'm like, oh, yay. <laughs> so is self-awareness the key to living a complete, fulfilling life at your ideal weight? Yes. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah. I think there's a lot there. Yeah. I think self-awareness is key to a lot of things, actually. Yep. Um, so if you could go back, last last question, if you could go back in time and give your 20-something self-advice, what advice would that be? Um well, like my my archetype is a Wonder Woman, so valued herself on success and achievement. And with that, I felt like I needed to be highly educated, and um, never felt like I knew enough. So I spent decades and decades, and now forty three, studying and studying and studying. And um, there were times in my life where I had these great opportunities. Did a lot of TV. Um, I moved into nutrition in my late twenties and I had a lot of TV coming my way in my early thirties when I was just starting out and I felt not smart enough. And whenever I went on TV, I was so, so anxious. I'd have a day of anxiety before I went on TV because I was so worried I was going to get something wrong. And, um, it's only now that I can understand why that was the case. And I wish at that time I just had not worried about it and I completely embraced it. And it didn't matter to me whether I, got something wrong i think that for me and that that's a lot where the archetype was developed it's like you no longer become um, vulnerable to that external factor so that you can progress in life i just i would have embraced it a lot more donna thank you thanks jason everyone check out the archetype diet pick it up thanks so much thank you